Have you guys ever heard of the saying, when life gives you lemons? Anyone know what the end of that is? Make lemonade. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, it's just easy. We got the whole answer then. The problem is that's sometimes hard to do. So what we're going to be doing today is we're actually going to make some lemonade while I'm talking up here. And we're going to ask you guys to help at different parts of this story. Okay? So the big question we're asking is what do we do when we're having a hard time? Okay? When it feels like everything's going wrong in our life. And we're going to talk about lemonade to do that. Okay? So... We are going to look, we're looking at the story of Elijah's life. Now, I heard that you guys have been studying this. Does anybody know anything about Elijah? What do you know about Elijah? He, he worked for God as a prophet to bring Ahab to turn against, turn back to God and not worship Baal. That's exactly right. He was a prophet who worked for God and he turned people's hearts back away from Baal. We just read that chapter last week. There was this big event on the top of this mountain and they had this competition between Baal and between Elijah. That's what Micah's talking about. And the prophets of Baal lost and God won. Okay? Now, we're going to read the scripture. So Abby and Nate, you guys are up for this, right? Who's going to read the first one here for all the adults to hear too? Okay, read nice and loud. Ahab told Jezebel that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But, his, but he himself went a day's journey into the wild earnest and came and sat down under a b- bloom tree and asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He look, And he looked, and behold, there was an there was at his head and a cake baked on his stones and a jar of the water. And he ate and drank and lay down. Again the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Excellent job, Abby. All right. That's right. Give her a hand. Great job. You guys can hold on to that. You want to just hold on to that mic for a minute? Okay, so Elijah is having a really 
horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day, isn't he? And oftentimes in life, we just said this thing of, you know, when life gives you lemons. Now, I have some lemons up here. Would anyone like to suck on a lemon? Who wants a little lemon slice to suck on? Okay. Does anyone want one of these lemons? Oh, whoops, I dropped that one. Anybody want a lemon slice? You know what they taste like? Yeah, try it. They're good. No? Anybody? Anyone want a lemon slice? You want to try one? You want to try one, Scarlett? Here you go, guys. You want to try one of these? Does anybody else want one? Micah, Levi? They're, act- they're pretty tasty. No? This is bombing, guys. Whether you want one? Okay. Anybody else? Levi? Okay. Abby, Nate, you guys want one of these? Anybody else out there? Okay, we've got plenty of them. All right, we'll leave them right here if you guys want to help yourself. See, because what do they taste like? Who knows what they taste like? Has anyone ever done this in a sermon before? Ooh. Oh, they're sour. They're sour, aren't they? When people say that about life, like when they, you know, life hands you lemons, it's because you're having a really hard time. Right? I mean, think about Elijah. He thought he was the hero of the story. He just won this huge battle between the prophets of Baal. He traveled back to Jezreel with, you know, meeting Ahab there, the king, and he thought he was probably going to be celebrated as this hero. And it was a total 180 because now Jezebel wants to kill him. And so what does he do? He runs away because he's afraid. And he isolates himself. And he says that he wants to die even. He asks God just to take his life. That's crazy talk. He's totally desperate. He's not liking himself very much. He feels like a failure. He says, I'm, I'm just like everybody else in this country. Just like my father's, he says. I wonder if some of you have felt that way sometimes. Feel like we can't do anything right. No one knows us. We're all alone. We're afraid. We run away. But God steps in and takes care of him. He sends the angel of the Lord to give him food and water to provide for what he needs. So, guys, what do you need to make lemonade out of these sour, not very good tasting lemons? What do you need to make lemonade? What do you need? Hand that microphone again. Thanks. What do you need to make lemon lemonade? Lemons. Okay, with lemons, we got that. Check. What else do you need? Sour. They are sour. sour. Yes. What else do you need to make lemonade if you have lemons? Water. Water. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. Lots of sugar. Lots of sugar. Okay, we got it. Yes. Okay, everybody. You can't make lemonade without water and sugar. You're saying no duh. Okay, I want to liken those two things to two things we see in this story, which are sugar, God's love for us, and water, the power of God in His Spirit. When someone says, hey, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, it's easy to say that. But you need sugar and water to do that. You need to know that God loves you and that He has the power to help you. So, here's our big idea today. I want you guys to practice this with me. When you're feeling blue, remember what's true. Everybody do this. 
Everybody do this. God loves me. Come on, adults. God loves me, and he's in me. When you're feeling blue, remember what's true. God loves me, and he's in me. There are not two more important things to know in the whole world than those two things. We have to continually renew our mind to remind ourselves that that is is what is true. All right. Let's have um, Abby, who's going to, Nate, you're going to read the second section. We're going to keep going here. We've got three parts to this story. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke pieces of rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu and the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elijah the son of Shaphat and Abel Mohela, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place, and the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall put, shall Elijah put to death. Elisha put to death. Yet I will lead seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. All right, give him a hand. Nate, good job. A lot of tough words in there. All right, in this section we see God tries to help Elijah make some lemonade. Elijah's not very cooperative. So I want a few of you, Keith's going to come up, and he's going to help make some lemonade. So the first step is you've got to squeeze the lemons. I need four people, two at a time, to volunteer. Who wants to squeeze some lemons? Okay, Levi, Levi, Tony, and Bethany. Okay, if you guys want to move over there with Keith, okay. There's a couple of things. You guys are going to be doing that while I'm talking. 
So I want to liken squeezing the lemons to getting out the complaint. That's what Elijah's doing in this passage. Okay? He's complaining to the Lord. He's saying all these things. He's, all that sourness that's in his life, he's pouring that out before God. Now, we do this often. Sometimes verbally with the Lord. Sometimes just kind of in our minds. We're just going through the litany of all the things that are wrong with our day or our week or our decade. The Bible encourages that to some degree, right? You look at the book of Psalms. It's encouraged for us to bring those things to the Lord. And the Lord responds to Elijah in this. But the interesting thing is that if you run through the list of the things that Elijah talks about, most of them are not accurate. Or it's not the whole picture. He says he's been jealous for God. That's, that's pretty true. He says the people have abandoned the covenant. If you were here last week, you know, they just reinstituted the covenant. That's not exactly true. They threw down God's altars. Elijah just rebuilt the altar on Mount Carmel. They killed the prophets. Well, not all of them. Obadiah, as we heard, saved a number of the prophets. And the prophets that got killed most recently were the prophets of Baal. He says he's the only one left. He knows that's not true because he just met Obadiah who reminded him that he had saved 100 prophets. And he says, now they want to kill me too. Which is interesting because Jezebel sent a messenger and not an assassin. Which in my mind is kind of, if you wanted to kill somebody, why would you send a messenger to let them know? Maybe she's just dumb, but that's not the best plan. You'd rather send a ninja assassin and they would just be dead. So I don't know what's going on there. If she has some fear of Elijah because what have happened, or she's just trying to intimidate him, or make him feel afraid, or to threaten him. Isn't that what we experience from the enemy of our souls? When we're in a hard place, we're going through hard times, it's all about intimidation. That's what's happened to Elijah, and he's... And he's He's gotten hooked by that. He went from being this bold guy on this mountain and facing down Ahab who also wanted to kill him to now just running away and not even asking the Lord what to do next. The point is is that all these things that he's running through his head in this place of fear are are half-truths at best. And that is the same place that we go to when we're in a place of despair or hopelessness or we feel discouraged or we feel like we're a failure or we want to give up. It's the lies that are going through our minds. So, when you're feeling blue, you remember what's true. God loves me, and He is in me. That is the sugar, and that is the water, the living water, the power to still obey and move forward. Now, if you, if you go back and read this chapter, we don't have a lot of time today to go through all the details of this, but you'll see that the, the, the writer of this is, is trying to make clear that Elijah is kind of half-hearted in his obedience at a number of different places. He kind of does what, half of what God says, or he doesn't kind of do it all the way, or he delays in doing it. So we see it also in Elijah this complaint, but we also see this kind of resistance, you know, of obedience. Boy, and isn't that true? It is really hard to obey when we are feeling alone and scared and hurt. Right? Elijah is a man just like us, it says in the book of James. And we see his humanity here. that He's not just a superhero. He's a person. Alright, so God responds, and many of you know the story, in this crazy demonstration of, you know, what is it? It's a wind first. It's like breaking rocks. That's a pretty powerful wind. And then it's uh, an earthquake and fire, lastly. And it says that God's not in each of these things. So, um, 
We're still squeezing the lemons. All right, we're good. Okay, the next, the next step, once you guys are done with that, is I want to talk about the water. So in, in John chapter 7, Jesus says this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this water, this powerful presence is the Holy Spirit, the the member of the Trinity. And that's what's happening on this mountain. There's this crazy demonstration of of God's power, right, to help. And Elijah sees this, not, not that he hasn't already seen enough in the previous chapter, but he sees this crazy demonstration of the power of God, right? And that's what God is doing for Elijah to help him see, hey, look, you're afraid of Jezebel? Don't you realize who I am, right? That I can just command earthquakes and fire and wind that can break rocks and mountains, right? That's who you are following. But it's interesting that God, it says that God's not in any of those things. This is a little bit of a mystery, this passage. You can read a lot of different reasons about, you know, why God's in the whisper. And some people even actually translate and they say, no, it's not a whisper. It's actually a loud, booming voice. So there's a lot of debate about what this means, but here's my take. I think it's one of two things. I think one is that God is trying to communicate to Elijah, if this is in fact a whisper, that he's not just working in these big, fantastic events that you see, that he's working all the time. Even in things that you can't, are very difficult to perceive like a whisper. Do you hear that for your own life? That God is always working. I heard a teaching recently by a guy named Steve Backlund. I know I, re- I referenced this a couple weeks ago. But he says something along these lines. God is always doing way more than you think. He's actually doing 7,000 times more than you think he's doing. That's what he tells Elijah. Elijah says, I'm the only one left. And God says, no, I have 7,000 others that have not bowed the knee to Baal or kissed his feet. Right? God is always doing 7,000 times more than you think. We just can't always perceive it like a little whisper. The second thing I think he may be communicating here is that his voice is what really matters. God is inviting Elijah into a place of relationship. It's not just, okay, right, here's this big bang and a boom and a, you know, and a, and a burn. He's talking. He's speaking to him. He's saying, look, Elijah, this is my power, but don't you know that that you're my guy, that I'm going to back you up, that I've got this all covered, that I care about you and that I love you? And this is what I'm talking about with the sugar. Okay? And the sugar is going to be one of the next steps that we do in adding for this lemonade. We'll need a volunteer for that in a minute. Um, Right? It's the sweetness. It's, it's God's love for us. We have to be grounded in knowing that he is totally committed to us in a loving relationship. So, despite all of all this stuff that God does, what does Elijah do after that? He repeats the same litany of inaccurate complaints that he had before. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He still brings these same things before. So God just says, okay, fine. Listen. This is what you're still going to do. I want you to go anoint this king, anoint this other guy to be a king, and then anoint Elisha. 
What's interesting about this is that Elijah doesn't do those things. He never anoints either of those kings. Elisha ends up doing it. And he doesn't anoint Elisha, as we're going to see in this next section. He doesn't fully obey to what God asks. And the reason is he's not getting the power of God in his life, that God is with him, and that God loves him and cares for him. So we don't want to do that. So when you're feeling blue, remember what's true. God loves me, and he's in me. Very good. Okay. Abby, are you around? Nate's going to do it. Okay, Nate, why don't you read that last section? So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shephat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelve. Elijah passed him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from the following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxygen and gave it to the people. And they then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. All right, awesome job. Give me, give me another hand. Good job, Nate. All right, so again we see Elijah doesn't anoint Elisha, does he? Just puts the cloak on him. Now, you could debate about whether that is the anointing, but it seems like when that word is used, anoint, there's a pouring of oil and you know, this proclamation about who somebody is. He doesn't do it. He's a little half-hearted in, in, in how he's going about things. Again, he's not getting the foundational truths that we need when we're in a tough spot, which is that God loves me and he's in me. We see in the life of Elisha, though, someone that is enthusiastic about following God. Right? He breaks all ties with his former life, right? He says goodbye to his mother and father. He says, I'm doing this new thing. He sacrifices the oxen, which probably were his. You know, the rest might have been his father's or something. He's, he's, he's saying, I am going to follow Elijah. So um, how close are we to the lemonade? Need some water? Great. Can we get some water and sugar, people to pour it in there? And then we're going to pass out some cups of some lemonade for all you guys, okay? So God's plan, we see, throughout the book of Kings continues to move forward even though Elijah is not fully obedient in every place. That's the same for us. God has continued to move things forward. We have a choice of whether or not we're going to work with him and be a part of the exciting things that he's doing in this world. The foundational things that we have to know is that God loves me and he is in me. It's interesting when we think about the life of Jesus. Jesus was in a very similar place at one point in his life. It was right before he was about to die. And he asked God, hey, if this cup of sour whatever can pass from me, let it be. But what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was able to do that because he was grounded in the two things of knowing that God loved him and knowing that God was with him to help him follow through on what God was asking him to do. 
So, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But you have to have sugar and water to do that. If we're going to take stuff in our life that is difficult, places where we feel burned out, tired, weary, like a failure, alone, frustrated. The truth that God is offering to us in this passage is that we can do it. But we have to know that God loves us and that He is in us by His Spirit to give us power to overcome, to do what He's asking us to do. And that God is always doing 7,000 times more than we know. Always. 